Welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the creative artistic side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and this week in Reykjavik, I had a new arrival. My Switch OLED arrived. It arrived from the UK via Amazon. It didn't take that long, actually. Um, I thought it would take longer. I was really happy to get it in such good time. Um, I had to pay a bit of a premium in import tax to get it, but... I don't know, I just kind of cracked. I wasn't planning to get a Switch OLED, but I play on my Switch handheld quite a lot, um, and I found the screen to be a little dim, um, and I don't have the best eyesight in the world, so I'd actually kind of migrated over to playing on my iPhone more because the screen was just so bright and crisp. So in the end, I, I cracked. I had a bit of spare cash. I was like, yeah, I'm doing it. I dived in. And boy, am I glad that I did. Um, It's a fantastic device. Um, The screen is beautiful. It's so bright, so sharp, so vivid. And I was worried initially that the um, the resolution had stayed the same. But now that I have this switch in my hand, I can honestly say after several hours of play that the resolution wasn't the problem, I think. It still looks crisp and good. Um, And the slightly larger screen doesn't uh, make the resolution look any worse. It really was the lighting that was the worst um, problem here, I think. So maybe that's what Nintendo knew. Um, And so, yeah, the screen has been great. Um, The build is also great. I'm very surprised now that I've held a Switch OLED that they didn't talk more about the build. It feels very high quality. It feels... um, All of the materials feel better than the original Switch, I think, which feels very plasticky. I'm a big fan of the original Switch, and I've used mine so, so much. I think it's a wonder machine, really, for the size of it and the weight of it. But this one feels really nice. It's got a kind of a slightly um, textured material on the Joy-Cons. The kickstand is better. It spans the whole back of the machine rather than that little kickstand that falls off all the time. It's a really substantial kickstand now. Um, The speakers are better for sure. They're a little louder and have a little bit more of a full sound. And it is slightly heavier, but the general build quality and just everything about it, it feels like more of a significant upgrade than I had imagined. Um, It's really nice to hold. Um, I'm very happy with it. Um, It comes with a new dock as well, and the dock is much better quality. It's less flimsy. Um, It's a nice white dock. It's got kind of curved edges. The back comes off so you can get all of your cables into it. And the original one was very, very lightweight, and it's almost like when you took your switch out of it, it didn't have enough weight to stay standing on its own, and mine would often be pulled over just by the weight of the cables dangling off behind it or whatever. But the new one um, feels a lot better. It has a slightly softer plastic on the inside of the dock and a kind of a different way to hold the switch. Um, So I think it's kind of trying to um, prevent that problem that the original switch had of people bashing their screen off the dock on the way in and actually scratching the screen. Um, So this one has a softer plastic, Um, It's still hard plastic, it just feels different. It's like slightly more glossy or something. just feels like maybe the screen would slide off it rather than um, hitting it, if you know what I mean. 
Um, but I will say that the dock holds the switch very loosely. It kind of wobbles in the dock uh, more than before. But again, I think this is Nintendo trying to address that screen problem. Um, the only the only kind of slight beef that I've got with this model is that the buttons on the top are very um, small. They're not as pronounced as they were before. So if you are used to running your finger across the top of the switch to easily find buttons to turn the volume up and down all the time, and that little sleep button, they're slightly less hard, less easy to find. They're much more tucked in. So I'm still getting used to that. Um, it feels a bit strange after a couple of years of OG Switch. But all in all, this is a really nice unit. I'm very happy with it. It's more of an upgrade than I expected. Um, I'm really pleased with the, the OLED Switch. I can recommend it if you're thinking of getting one. Um, I've been playing Paper Mario on mine and a couple of other things. I've uh, dipped into a couple of classic games. I've dipped into a bit of Zelda. Um, I played a little bit of Golf Club Wasteland, a game that I'm planning to review on the show in a future episode. Um, and a, a good side effect of this was that my friend uh, Nicholas has been around here a couple of times and is very uh, video game curious um, and doesn't have any game systems. And so I, I kind of entrusted my old Switch to Nicholas and he's, his little face was, honestly, he was over the moon. <laughs> so he, he bought Zelda immediately um, and has been playing it ever since and has taken to it like a, a duck to water. Um, and, you know, I've talked a lot about how I find video games to be a really brilliant way to relax. It's this, this great way that, especially games like Zelda, with this kind of wide horizons ahead of you and so much to do and beautiful nature and... Um, awesome piano music and great sound of running water and blowing wind. Such a nice way to just tune out of life. Um, there's been a bit of a debate going on in the uh, the Gaming in the Wild Discord lately about multiplayer games and single-player games, and I haven't really done any um, multiplayer games, in, the, in not since I was a kid, really. I mean, when I was a kid, me and my brother would compete fiercely on um, the original Mario Kart and all these kind of games, Street Fighter 2. But these days I really just like a good, um, either a kind of a concise artistic indie indie game experience that has something to tell me and something to show me, or like these sprawling open worlds that I really love too. Um, and I find both to be a really meditative way to kind of just drain all of the, the stress out of my body. It's like it stops the the kind of the wheel spinning. If you If you feel anxiety like I do, or you allow stress to build up in you, it's like a place where you just kind of, your attention is held entirely by what you're playing um, and you're interacting. So it's not like you're sitting back watching a movie and having your mind drift off or trying to read a book and just having to put it down because you can't concentrate. Um, there's something about the format of video games that really um, soaks me into it in a very whole kind of way. And I've, I've taken real pleasure in um, talking to Nick as he's going through the the opening stages of playing Breath of the Wild and finding that he's having the same experience, that he's just really getting lost in it and finding it to be a, a way to tune out of life and uh, to have some kind of experience and some kind of cultural intake and some kind of activity to do that's just pleasant, relaxing. It's, it's kind of good for you in a way. It feels kind of psychologically healthy to have that space. And I'm sure a lot of people find it in other ways, you know. Some people can really get lost in a book and, and tune out or they, they'll watch shows and movies and stuff. But video games is the one for me. It's like a certain, the pace of it, the activity of it. It really is the best way that I can think of to relax. And so I'll be doing so with my new Switch OLED 
very happy to have it. So I'm all up to date now. I've got the uh, the little Xbox Series S, seeing as the X wasn't available. Very happy with that. Um, very happy with the PS5. I've been uh, playing a lot of games on that lately. And now I've got this nice Switch OLED. It's like all of my consoles went from being black to being white. So I've got these three white next-gen consoles. I mean, if you consider Switch OLED to be next-gen, um, I guess the Switch is a last-gen machine at this point. But anyway, it's the most up-to-date model, and it's a really good one. This is a really good uh, mid-generation upgrade for Nintendo. And I am curious to see what they'll come out with next. Um, I've been listening to some of these kind of conspiracy theories about patents going out and uh, developers getting 4K kits for some kind of next-gen Switch, but then Nintendo have so strenuously denied that they're working on a 4K Switch that the current kind of working theory is that um, these 4K dev kits are probably for the thing that comes after Switch, and they're really early dev kits for developers to start making games for whatever comes next after Switch, Switch 2, something like that, whatever it might be. But anyway, that was what's been going on with me this week. Um, I'm going to talk about a game that I've been um, looking forward to um, since I saw the first uh, video footage of it a month or so ago. Um, it's a long in-development game. It's quite an interesting one. Um, it has its problems, but it also has some really great strengths. It is Jet the Far Shore, a science fiction exploration game in which you play a young pilot called May who accompanies her, um, her civilization on a, a small scouting mission to try and scout out a new world to live and discover a mysterious signal called the Hymn Wave. Um, and everything about this one was drawing me towards it. There's something about the artwork, something about the, uh, the graphics that I'd seen in the gameplay. I felt, I felt like this might be a really good one. So I was very happy to get a code for it. So thank you to the developers for that. And I will be reviewing that game today. But before I do, let me just mention that this show is Patreon supported. So whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, I'm, I'm very appreciative of anyone that is willing to throw a dollar a month towards the show. It helps me to get games to source, it helps me get a URL for the site, it helps me upgrade my equipment, and it, and it just shows me that people out there that are listening are into the show um, enough to kind of chuck a buck my way um, each month to create it. Um, and so you can go to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild if you're a fan of the show um, and join up there. You'll get um, an invite to the Discord, you'll get occasional extra episodes, you'll get reviews. I posted a, a long review of Sable today for my patrons that really kind of went in deep on, on what I found so magical about that game. And so if that's something that interests you, it's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. And with that out of the way, let's move on and talk about the featured game of the episode, Jet the Far Shore. So Jet the Far Shore is a game that came out a couple of weeks ago in autumn of 2021. It was jointly developed and published by Super Brothers with Pine Scented Software, and it's available for PlayStation and for PC. I have been playing it on PlayStation 5, 
Um, it looks good. Um, I believe it's in 4K. Um, there are frame drops sometimes, which is a little surprising. It doesn't seem like a game that should be technically too demanding for the PlayStation 5, but it is an indie game. It is a first studio's first time project. Um, and so the technical performance isn't perfect, but it generally looks pretty good and runs pretty well. On Metacritic, it currently has 69, uh, which is mixed reviews. How Long To Beat currently has it uh, unrated because it's so new, but the press materials did say that it takes about 12 hours to complete. And this is how the developers describe it. They say, Jet invites you on an interstellar trip to carve out a future for a people haunted by oblivion in a cinematic action-adventure. A scout and anchorite may be the first to deploy to a mythic ocean planet, take the helm of a jet and explore a vast unknown in this story of courage, wonder and regret. Mine's a bit shorter, I say it's an ambitious, vibey, open-world vehicular exploration game about a spiritual spacefaring civilization that heads out into the great unknown in search of the source of a mysterious signal. The gameplay stutters on the launch pad while the story shoots for the stars. And I will start by saying that whilst I have a fair few criticisms of this game, um, it has one of the best opening acts that I can think of. It has this amazing beginning. It, it starts off in a really uh, engaging way, a really unusual way. Um, and I was quite taken by the, the opening act and by the story generally and the mood that it manages to summon up. Um, even at the, the point that I'm at in the, the late game now, um, I am quite kind of taken with it all, even though I'm also really frustrated with the gameplay. I'm still very taken with the game. So it's going to be a mixed review. Um, and there is a lot to talk about. It is an interesting game. Um, so let's get into it. So this is the game about a spacefaring civilization that are chasing a mysterious cosmic sim signal called the Hymn Wave that they've been hearing for, for generations. Um, they finally tracked down the signal to an alien planet that's a thousand years away, and they've spent generations building up the technology to track the signal, to prove its existence, and then to build up a space program to go in search of it. Um, and the signal was first heard in the distant past by a prophet called Sosi, who kind of foresaw this, um, this journey that you're about to go on, in which the people of this world head out to a planet that they call the Far Shore, which is supposed to be a forested paradise, which is dominated by a Fuji-like mountain called the Tor, and that's where the hymn wave is coming from. Um, and as civilization developed, the scientists kind of examined this, this kind of prophetic folklore from this guy called Sosi, and they kind of came up with a more pragmatic approach to it. They searched for the hymn wave, and they found it, and they were able to measure it. And you see it everywhere. As you look around um, your ship, as you look around the space station, the ground base, and just the culture generally, it's kind of a, a diagonal uh, line of squares. It looks like a, a sine wave that's been squared off and, uh, and turned vertical. And that's the hymn wave. That's what this society wants to find. Um, the society is on some kind of the brink of some kind of uh, catastrophe, but you don't really find out what. Um, and they think that finding this home world and finding out what the hymn wave is and kind of communing with it and investigating with it is their their best hope to colonize a new world and to continue. 
And the game starts out, um, you play as May. She's a young anchorite, which is like a, a monk mystic from the Order of Sosi. And you start in your kind of village hall, and there are people around you giving you advice. There's kind of drums being hit. Um, and the art style is really cool. It's kind of low-poly, slightly papery looking, um, kind of low-tech, but quite engaging. The faces are nicely drawn, um, and the suits are kind of blocky. It's a little bit like Outer Wilds, uh, which is a game that I think this this one uh, bears some comparison to in several ways. But you start as May, you start in the village hall, um, and it's kind of the ceremony for you to leave on this journey as part of the scout troop that will head out to the tour to find the hymn wave and you come out of this village hall um and there is a fire burning and there are people standing around you swaying and singing beautiful music it's this kind of this strange harmonic vocal music it's really really striking and kind of pungent and the grass is waving in the wind and the people are swaying it's really cool and disorienting and so in this first person section you walk down the hill you meet your co-pilot Issei um, you see the jet that is going to carry you off to your mission. It's kind of a white, um, like a fighter plane crossed with a space shuttle. And you get into it, and then you're off. Um, and Issei shows you the basics. He shows you that you can turn on and off your jets. You can uh, turn from left to right in a kind of a very slow arc. Or you can hit a button to pivot rapidly. You can uh, charge your jets to go faster. But when you've charged them for too long, they will um, overheat. And so you have to kind of constantly look at the heat meter and balance your speed. Um, and he takes you through a few obstacles and a few, like a kind of a slalom formation, skating over the sea, this long glittering sea, with a camera that is very, very zoomed out. So you, your ship is really just a dot with a, a white line coming from the jet behind it. Um, and it's kind of an invigorating beginning. You're kind of shooting out over the sea. Um, it's really nice to move so quickly and in such an unencumbered way. And Issei talks to you as you're traveling and he explains a little bit about the world. You go past some ruined warships and he says that there have been great wars that have led up to this moment um, that you're in now. And you reach the launch site, you go back into first person. There is a kind of a ceremonial uh, greeting line waiting for you with some government people. There are crowds around you. You go up these amazing kind of steps and, and down towards the launch vehicle. And then um, May just kind of walks into the, the rocket, the camera zooms out, and you witness the, the takeoff of this kind of um, like hinge, make or break space mission that this entire civilization has been leading up to. And the music swells, and you see this kind of countdown, this takeoff, the rocket blasts off into space. Um, and then the jet, the far shore, appears on the screen as the title. This has taken like 45 minutes to get here. And at this moment, I was just, I was covered in goosebumps. I was buzzing and I was like, fuck yeah, I'm in. This is a great game.
that's that's quite a remarkable piece of music, isn't it? Um, the soundtrack is by Scientific. I think he did the soundtrack for Oxenfree um, and for some other pretty cool games. But this is really at the next level. This soundtrack it has this vocal music, it has this chanting, and it has a huge orchestral score that really feels like 2001 inspired and kind of those grand sweeping space odysseys, you know. And the game does the mood very well. The art style is good. The way that the pilots wear little triangles on their cheeks. The way that everything seems a little ceremonial as well as technological. It's a kind of a proto-human society, like a humanoid society with a kind of a, a tribalistic spirituality um, and a technological space program kind of scope as well. Um, and it does a really good job at joining those two things together. It has that kind of soft-edged uh, journey and pathless kind of spirituality, fictional spirituality to it, but mixed with a space program in the same way as The Outer Wilds a little bit. And so it's a real mixture of like pathless vibes and like um, No Man's Sky kind of feeling and Outer Wilds feeling, grand space exploration mixed with this very grounded culture. And where the game goes next is that it skips forward to the, the alien planet. Um, you touch down, you float down in a parachute, and you're the first to deploy onto the ground of the far shore. And it's here that you really get a feeling for how the jet actually works. It has the scramjets, you can surge them, you can fly over vapor fissures to recharge your jets to make you able to go faster for longer, um, theoretically. But as described earlier, the turning is kind of uh, counterintuitive. You can turn kind of in a painfully slow arc, or you can do a handbrake turn, like a hairpin handbrake turn. And those are your two options, and that makes uh, driving with precision difficult. Um, a lot of the time, I felt that the spacecraft, the jet needed to be rebalanced and retuned. It felt wrong, um, and it still does feel wrong. Like, I'm... I'm probably 60% of the way through this game right now, and I feel like I've, I've seen what it has to offer apart from the story outcome, which I will I will uh, play through and get to that. Um, but the, the controls are quite awful, um, actually, and that, that's a big problem. Um, and it's it's just a kind of a fact of this game. It's, it's hard to control the jet with any precision. Um, the turning is weird. The, the kind of the, the overheating of the scramjets are strange too. I often felt like I could either turn, do an extreme turn, and I could be going extremely fast, or I could do a very, very slow turn or and go incredibly slow, um, and there was no in-between. And what I really wanted was to be able to go at a normal speed um, and to turn in a normal way, and everything that was an offer to me was an extreme manoeuvre. Um, and if you're always doing extreme manoeuvres, it's really hard to get the hang of it. I found it very hard to get the hang of it. This might just be a me thing, I'm not sure, but to me, I never felt fully in control of my jet. Um, there are times when you're expected to trace the spine of some mountains up a really a cool kind of um, uh, incline up to a summit where you'll find something that is mission essential. This happens a few times in the early part of the game, um, and I didn't feel... Um, very comfortable doing that. Um, I found that the jet turned too slowly to really trace the spine of those hills, um, and the handbrake turn wasn't useful, and so I would tumble down more often than not. 
Um, and it took a few times to do any of those things. It really took um, a bit of the satisfaction out of something that should have been really cool and fun to do. Um, and there are other controls that your jet has. It can grapple objects, for example, samples or animals or plant life. Um, but if you're carrying anything, your ship goes very slowly, like painfully slowly. Um, it's kind of the, the spacecraft equivalent of the walking speed and the longing, like um, you're barely moving. Um, there's also a radar, and you can use that to scan objects, and you get a little readout on the screen. Um, if you turn in different directions, you'll get frequency readouts, and that means that you're facing something interesting. And those are of different colours, so that's a helpful um, guide that you can head towards if you're looking for a different kind of object. Uh, you also have a light that you can flash to startle a hostile creature or to see in the dark. And you can also pop, that means holding down and releasing the X button, which gives you a little vertical hop, because most of the time you're, you're skimming, you're ground skimming. A little bit like the Starlink game, um, or the, the Exo vehicles from No Man's Sky, but a little bit higher up. It is an aircraft, but it's skimming along the ground most of the time. But you can do a little pop to get higher, to get up onto a mountaintop, to get up onto a ledge. It's not very easy, it's not very intuitive. Um, I spent a lot of time trying to pop up onto a ledge and kind of hitting the cliffside because I didn't get the angle right or whatever. A bit of a pain in the ass, uh, much like the rest of the controls. And the problem with these tools is that you can only select one at a time. It's on the square button. Um, and you have to select it by using the D-pad, pushing left, right, up or down. Um, and that is a really huge pain in the ass as well. Um, you really want those controls on different buttons, especially when you're moving at speed. Because um, it means that you have to take your finger off the left stick, which you're using to steer. It's the equivalent of taking your hands off the steering wheel of a Formula One car, because you have to change gear. Um, it's a really disastrous uh, control scheme, unfortunately. Um, and it's a big pain in the arse and a big hindrance to enjoying the game. And I'm going to go through an example of um, one place where the control scheme was a real problem. So... Um, as you're exploring the far shore, um, nighttime is uh, it's like radioactive. When the sun goes down, you have to rest for the night. Your, uh, your ship starts losing its shields, um, and you can only camp in designated spots. You have to find the designated spot with your scanner. Um, not always as easy as it should be, but you can find it in the end, and maybe the spot where you can... Uh, it's like a spring, but there might be something blocking it, so you have to grapple something away and then you're supposed to just deploy the little shield bubble and park for the night. Should be simple, right? But nothing is simple in JET. Um, it's kind of an ordeal of trying to figure out the, the order of buttons and the contextual um, button presses that you have to do in order to, um, to get your shield deployed and to land. It should be two button presses, it should be 10 seconds, but it's taken me several minutes, several times. So I found the shelter spot 20 minutes ahead of time, grappled some creatures away, but I couldn't land for some reason. I wasn't able to land at that point. I wasn't able to drop the shelter. So I thought, hmm, maybe this is shifting sands or something. It might be the wrong place. So I, I went away and explored a little more, but uh, the nighttime was coming. I was in a bit of trouble. I was starting to get worried. Um, eventually I was, um, I'd gone around the whole island. There were no other landing spots to be seen. This is 10 minutes of gameplay. So I came back to that spot. Um, and my co-pilot told me to clear the spot, um, despite the fact that I'd already discovered it and cleared it 10 minutes ago. Um, so I was trying to land, trying to deploy my shield. It wasn't happening. It wasn't working. 
and then um, I tried to land, I failed several times. The game was telling me that it wasn't a landable spot, but I eventually got landed and it turned out that you can't actually deploy the shelter whilst landed. Um, that was one of the problems I was having. I needed to be airborne to deploy the shelter, which seems a little counterintuitive. And then not only that, but once, you, once you've deployed it, you can't just land with the press of the button, as usual in the game. You have to hold the button to do this kind of strange choreographed landing. And at this time, I just spent 10 minutes doing nothing, um, despite having known what to do the whole time. And the control scheme and the kind of the verbal prompts and the on-screen button prompts had done absolutely nothing to help me. They'd made a bigger problem. Um, and... I was just very frustrated. I had to put the game down for a while. It was one of the most difficult, convoluted, counterintuitive processes that I've gone through in, in recent memory. It's like this game trips over its feet constantly. It's got a, a wonderful setting, a wonderful story, great music, good graphics, a kind of a gripping premise and scenario, um, and a story that you really want to see the end of. But... The gameplay is, is a, a terrible mess, it really is. Um, the jet doesn't control well. Um, the voice prompts from your co-pilot seem to both over-explain and uh, under-explain what you're supposed to do. It's like he's trying to tell you every step of the way, but often it's in the wrong context or it's something that you've already done. And the game doesn't know that. It doesn't know that you've already done some stuff and it needs to hop on to the next point. So it's kind of trying to pull you back or expecting you to play slowly. And if you play quickly, then it starts giving you all of the prompts anyway for things you've done already. The button prompts are confusing. I don't think they're quite in tune with what's going on with the voice prompts. And at this point, you know, the problems are really starting to, to mount up with the gameplay. There is another early sequence in the game where, without wishing to give any spoilers, it's not really a spoiler. You have to drive off an animal. Let's just leave it at that. Um, and it's quite a kind of a dramatic set piece in theory. Um, but the way that this, this mission played out was that I was kind of not quite sure what to do. So I was just kind of experimenting. I was trying to pop up um, around the animal and scare it with lights and uh, pop my jets and do all the things that I'd been trained to do. Um, eventually I got like a note from um, one of my co-pilots, one of the other scouts that's flying with you that I should uh, find a local plant and that will work. So I went off to find a local plant. Um, as I was finding it at the uh, the map point I was directed to, um, I got a message saying, hey, it's gone. We've scared it off. Uh, everything's fine. I uh, went back and it was gone. I'd, I'd missed the whole thing. And so after trying to kind of do it my own way, then getting some instructions and following the instructions, the, the AI just did the mission for me. Very anticlimactic, very strange gameplay decision. Um, so, I mean, there's a, there's a lot wrong with Jet, I'm going to be real. Um, a lot of the puzzles involve navigating very close, closed-in spaces at snail pace, which is not fun. Um, the game is best when you're streaking out across the ocean. Um, so, despite the fact that I really love the story of Jet, and the first hour is very solid, I would even say that it's it's worth trying this one, if that mood sounds interesting to you, especially if you're the kind of person that's not going to be put off by some um, oddly designed, kind of underdeveloped, uh, janky gameplay, um, which is kind of screaming for refinement, to be honest. So I've had a kind of a mixed time with Jet so far. I've had to put the game down because I've become so on edge from just how difficult it feels to do anything. Um, there's a lot of problems here. 
um, but it does accomplish a lot too. And I did hear an interview with the developers of this game. It is their first game. They've been working on it for quite a long time. And they did say in the interview that we expect to be working on this game for a while, um, which was kind of something that I didn't really think about at the time when I heard the interview. But now that I've played it, I am, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you are. It's not really finished. It's not really there. It feels under-tested, underdeveloped. Uh, the ship needs rebalancing. The way that the activities and puzzles work needs rebalancing. It's like the frame of a good game is here, but it falls down um, every time it tries to turn around. Everything feels really clunky and kind of pushed together and um, sharp edges everywhere. It's not dynamic. Um, it doesn't feel good to do anything in this game. Not even walking, flying, nothing. But I weirdly kind of like it anyway. The scenario is so good, the story is so good, I want to know what happens. I'm loving the mood, I'm loving the music and the look of it. I'm just having no fun playing it. So I'm kind of stuck in a, a troubled relationship with this game. Um, so that's where I'm at with it. I will come back and revisit it if, um, if it improves any, or if I have more to say about it by the time I finished it. Uh, so that's where I'm at with Jet the Far Shore. So that was Jet the Far Shore. I had actually kind of a grand plan to, to sweep up a bunch of games that I finished recently in this episode, but I'm recording on a Sunday night. It's kind of late. It's late at night. I kind of want to go and put my feet up and just chill and uh, get ready for my, my work week ahead. So I was going to review also Lost in Random, which I've now finished and which uh, grew on me an awful lot actually over the playtime. It is quite an eccentric and uh, lumpy, odd kind of game but the combat is very, very good, actually. This kind of dice-based, deck-builder, live-action mix-up of strategic combat was quite appealing by the end of it. Did take me a while to get there. It's the kind of game that I had to pick up and put down because uh, I got sick of it, and then it felt fresh again a few days later, and I could do a couple more hours again. Um, so no, by no means a home run, but a solid game. Um, I also have Kena, Bridge of Spirits, the, uh, the kind of Pixar style, uh, Soulsy combat, pastiche of uh, lots of other games that people really like, like Fallen Order and Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, lots of elements of all of these games thrown into Kena Bridge of Spirits. And I do plan to talk more about those two games. Perhaps I can cover them in a joint episode um, in the coming weeks and uh, clear my slate for the Halloween episode, which I'm also planning to do. So lots to look forward to as always. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you would like to come and find me on social media, whether you'd like to tell me what you think of Jet or what you think of Kana or Lost in Random, um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, YouTube and Twitch as Gaming in the Wild. The main place that I chat is Twitter, but I do occasionally stream, occasionally upload videos and occasionally upload photos too. So please do come and say hello. I'm always very happy to get new followers and to hear from listeners. There is also that Patreon. If you've gotten this far in the show, then uh, please do consider heading over to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild and slinging me a buck a month. You can also leave a good review if you're on uh, Amazon or Apple Podcasts, rather. I really appreciate reviews and star ratings too. It helps people find the show and sharing it with anyone you think might like it. All of that is great stuff. I'm sorry if that's uh, 
a lot to, to ask of you. I don't mean to be demanding. I'm just trying to get my spam in here at the end. Um, so thanks very much for listening. I always appreciate it. This has been Gaming in the Wild. I've been John. Take care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye for now.